Navigating Business Podcast, where we dive into the lives and stories of small business owners from around the country to learn what's worked, what hasn't, and everything else in between. Our goal here is to share as much high-quality business information as possible. And the best part is, it's all by business owners for business owners. Everything here is all about small business. We're here today with Brian Reedy, owner of Reedy Law Office. Brian works primarily in family and divorce law, with his motto being divorce with dignity. Even more, Brian loves the world of small business and entrepreneurship in general, so he's going to have some great insights for us today, I'm sure. Brian, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Nate. Thanks for having me. Brian, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about Reedy Law. Tell us what you do. Uh, Briefly, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, and moved out here with my wife. Kind of got married, settled down in the uh, suburbs of Chicago. Started off as a, a state's attorney, worked there for a bit, eventually transitioned to private practice in Tenley Park, which is where I live. Learned some things that I liked and didn't like about running a business. And eventually I left uh, on my own. About December of 2014, I gave notice, parted uh, very well with my former firm and, and kind of set up on, on my own. I, I literally uh, shared an office with somebody. They had an extra desk started off there. And so here we are today in October of uh, 2020 and things have changed quite a bit. Started off, like I said, just by myself, true solo. Now I have a team of uh, 13 people and we have grown tremendously every year and we've already surpassed where we were at last year, this year, and we're, we're going to continue to grow even next year. So that's a little snapshot. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing growth even just over six years growing a team that large already. So that's really, really cool. And I think that shows a lot about your business insights. So tell us a little bit about what kind of drew you to being a small business owner, to growing that team, not being content with just being one person on their own, but kind of growing and and starting that process. Yeah, I think that, I think I started off one of my, my virtual mentors was Dave Ramsey. He talks a lot about financial peace and, and things of that nature. But he also uh, talked about entree leadership and about being an entrepreneur and a leader. It was always kind of ringing in the back of my head that maybe maybe I kind of have this itch, but I wasn't really sure. Like many entrepreneurs, you're not really sure when you should step out on your own. Because the one thing that we know about entrepreneurship is that, you know, whether you succeed or fail, the results are on you. And you can't blame anybody else. And you you have to look in the mirror and, and take full accountability. And that's really scary. So that's the thing that really holds a lot of people back. And I, I get it. But, but eventually I realized it was time. I had to do it. I kind of had a, an entrepreneurial itch to scratch, so to say. And I, I stepped out and went on my own. And I'm glad I did. And I've continued to kind of grow and learn and invest in myself and, and the additional learning and, and coaching to get me to where I'm at. It's, it was not an accident. You know, some people kind of like look at things and, and call you, you know, an overnight success or, or, or things like that. But there was many hours that went into it. So I'm happy to go into that a little bit more, but I'll, I'll see if you have any, anything to comment on that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love a couple, couple things there. I mean, first of all, kind of that jump off into, into the world of being an entrepreneur from kind of the stable world of being an employee to jumping into the unknown is always yeah, a scary moment. And like you said, talking to, to most business owners and myself included, I think a lot of us think about it for a long time and, and consider it. And it's always hard to know 
when that point is. So for anyone listening, kind of considering that, I think that's hopefully helpful that everyone feels that way. And then your second point about, you know, looking like an overnight success, having the, the team grow to 13 in six years, it, it seems, you know, wow, that's fast. It's in a quick, quick amount of time. But I like that you shared about all the hours and the time behind that. And, and I know you mentioned Dave Ramsey and Entra leadership already, but what have been some of those other things that have helped you grow into that, like you said, that have brought new insights into how you grow your business, into how you use your time, all that side of things? So I think that one thing that that entrepreneurs should do if if they don't already do it is is look for other successful entrepreneurs and learn from their mistakes and their successes. And many successful entrepreneurs have already put that out there and they put it in books and they have it on audio books and they have podcasts, they have all of those things. So you can learn about what others have done, you know, before you. And I have taken that. And and there are some entrepreneurs that start off and kind of just want to feel like I got to do it on my own. I don't need to listen to anybody. I, I have all the answers. But I think having that maturity to recognize others have been there before. And if you have somebody that is willing to share some, you know, successes and failures with you, you can, you can grow leaps and bounds faster than they did, right? Because sometimes you, it might've taken someone five years to do some, some of the things that I was able to do in two years because they shared with me their knowledge and insights, which is, which is tremendous. And, and one of the things that I think was the best thing for me was to invest in coaching. Once I got to the point where I was starting to be, you know, think I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I was not as concerned about, am I going to survive? But it was like, where am I going to go? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I realized through some coaching that, that every successful business has seven parts to it. And really that means every unsuccessful business also has seven parts, but every business has these parts, whether you realize it or not. And they're really, really important to understand because a lot of people, when, when you start off as a, an entrepreneur, you start off with your, your skill or your trade. A great book on that is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, talking about Sarah the baker and how she was a wonderful baker and everyone thought she was great. And obviously you're a good baker, therefore you're going to be a good business person. Entrepreneurs kind of laugh at that because they know, you know, that the, sometimes the best businesses are not the best at their craft. They're really good at some of the other parts uh, of right. a successful business. Yeah. I also have read that book. I've actually read the bookkeeper specific version and they talk about the same thing. If you're skilled in bookkeeping, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be a really skilled business owner because you have all the different hats to wear. So yeah, that's, that's a great book to read, a great example. So do you want to go more into those seven parts that you mentioned, Brian, both for yeah. successful and unsuccessful businesses? Sure, sure. So you know, however you want to do them in order, the order doesn't necessarily matter, but the first thing is the entrepreneur himself or herself. And for a while I had trouble accepting that, but, but when I realized, especially as you start growing, the owner, the entrepreneur, the person that's saying, this is what we're going to do. It's really their job to make sure that they set a map or a course, a a destination and, and they get the troops and they say, that's where we're going this is who we are and this is who we're not. Because if you don't have that vision and that, that guidance, people don't know where they're going. Could you imagine getting in a boat without a destination? No, it just doesn't really make sense. So I struggled with that for a while because I didn't really think about that and really put much time into it, but that's, it's really important. So depending on where you're at in your stage, you kind of have to think about it. 
what is it that you want, right? Because your goals are going to drive what happens in the business. If you want to live in a really, really big house, well, you're going to have to have enough sales and conversions and all that sort of stuff to afford that. So you got to be honest with yourself about what is it that you want. So that way you can then create your business plan to go after that. And that goes right into the other six parts. In a chronological sort of way, you got to think about marketing. Marketing is a really important part of any business. So the job of marketing is to get the right people looking for your services or your product into the right place at the right time. It's also the job of marketing to eliminate or exclude the people that are not your target market, right? For example, as a bookkeeper, it's really important to let people know you're doing a bookkeeping service and not an accounting service or a, a law practice, so to say. You want to make sure that you're tailoring your message to say, this is the solution that I can offer for you. If you're selling, you know, trucks, you don't want people walking in looking for a, a, a Prius, right? They're different <laughs> markets, they're different demographics. Right. So marketing has to do, get the right people there and also screen out the wrong people. So that's, that's the first component you have to have. Now, every business has marketing, whether you realize it or not. Some people say, I don't do marketing. Well, you do. That means you probably do word of mouth, which is you're intentional about doing really good service for people and hoping others tell people about your service. Now, there's pros and cons to that, but everybody has it. Does that make sense that everyone has marketing, whether they realize yep, it or not? Sure. So, so once you've you know, done well with your marketing, that goes into the next part, which is sales. Sales sometimes is a bad word to some, some people. They feel they, they almost get that uh, used car salesman image in their head and pushy and things like that. But I always tell people like sales should not be something you do to somebody. It should be something that you do for somebody. And mm -hmm. it's really, really important to have that mindset because you have to truly believe that having them buy your product or service is going to make their life better. If you yeah. don't, that's a problem, you know, then you shouldn't be selling that thing because yes, you are tricking somebody, mm -hmm. but both people should profit from a sale. And by profit, I mean that they both are getting something that they value more for something that they value less. It sounds weird when you say that, but if you, if you imagine you had $50 cash in your pocket and you were buying a pair of jeans, I don't, I don't know if it's $50, but you go into the <laughs> store, you know, uh, imagine, you know, back when you could go in shopping, you say, I want those jeans more than I want this $50 in my pocket. And the store clerk says, I want that $50 more than I want this pair of jeans. Mm -hmm. Everybody wins, right? That's profit on both sides. Mm -hmm. That's what sales should be like. It should be more of an education to the, the consumer of this is how we can improve your life. And they should make an educated decision and say, yes, I want my life improved in that way. Mm -hmm. So that's a great way. Of really, that. really important, but people often overlook it. I think it takes okay. away a lot of the pressure that that business owners feel when they're trying to make sales. Cause they're, 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 like I just said, they're trying to make them right. They're trying to force them. They're saying you need to accept this where like you're saying, it's a two way street. And I think when you think about it that way, it does take a lot of the pressure off of it. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a really tough thing and don't, don't get me wrong. Each part of this business is a skill mm -hmm. and a skill can be learned. It can be practiced and it can be improved upon. I mean, we've, we're, we're, we're chit-chatting about some NFL previously, but it's like every one of those guys that play at the NFL, they've worked on those individual skills and they've improved on it. Just like every business owner, 
can work on these individual skills and get better at them and better at them and each time build on them. Sales is absolutely one of those things as well. Right. I guess that, you know, kind of at once you've made the sale, but that now you got to start thinking about, okay, how do I fulfill that? And that kind of goes into the next three parts of, of your business and just highlighting and we'll, we'll, we can go into them a little bit, but that's your, what I kind of call your physical plan or your, your resource, the actual stuff you need to fulfill the order, so to say, then you've got your systems and then you've got your people. So your, your physical plan is what I call it in the, the training that I've gotten from, from a group called how to manage a small law firm. That's what they call it. But just think about everything that we do. So it, it could be your computers. It could be if you were making you know, widgets or a product, it would be, where do you make it? Is it here in the United States? Is it overseas? Like, what are the tools that you need to do to get your job done? Could be a scanner, could be a desk. All of that sort of stuff are physical tools that you need. Could be software, could be online, but what are the things that you need to do in order to deliver the services or, or product that you promise to your customer? That, that all goes in your physical plant and you need to think about those things. When, when you're thinking about your physical plant, like for me as a law firm, you know, when I started my lease at the current place that I was at, you know, when you're thinking about a lease, you often have to think three to five years in advance. And for every entrepreneur, that's scary as hell. I mean, when I moved over here, I think I had myself and two other employees, or I'm sorry, there's three others. And now we have nine, 10 people here at once. A lot of times we're, we're remote for some of our people, but that's a scary thing to think about. You know, when you're talking about your physical plant or your office or whatever, you have to think of both now, but also where are you going to be in a few years? Too often people think about, oh, I only need two office spaces and now you're either going to be on top of each other or you're going to have to be breaking your lease and moving again. So that's your physical plan. Uh, any questions or, or thoughts or things no, on that? It's I, I think it's interesting to, to think about that, how, how complicated it gets just bringing in more people and the spaces they need, the equipment they need, and then just even yeah. managing the physical presence of people there, you know, whether it's spacing, whether it's providing, you know, just the needs, you know, whether it's food, whether it's just office space. There's so many complications that I think you're like, Oh, I'll just hire on someone. They'll come in. But then you have to think about all these other pieces. So that's a, that's a great one to come up. I think that's probably easily forgotten. Yeah. I, I always say it's like the, the least sexy of the things to talk about. Because <laughs> For sure. Not really fun, but you're right. Like, okay, now that you got people here, are you going to buy them food? Are you going to have some, a, a water cooler? Are you going to have bottled water? Like all of these things go into, by the way, go into kind of like your branding and your message which can go back to marketing. You know, in other words, like we don't do it here, but you know, uh, maybe it would be a, a bad thing. You get branded water bottles or things like that. What, what are you going to have for when people walk in? What's the feel that you want to have for people when they walk in? This is a, a hybrid of marketing in your physical plant, but like when they walk into the door, should they feel a certain way? If you haven't thought about it, right. you should. I'm not right. saying that you got to drop everything else, but it's really, really important what is the message that you want people to, to feel when they come see you? Then you get into your systems. Now your systems are the thing that they drive me nuts, but I greatly understand the value of them. The systems are what run your business and then your people run your systems. That's something I repeat off so often in my office that I think people can mock me or they can mouth along as I'm saying it. Right. But I, I say your systems run your business, your people run your systems. 
My job as the owner and the entrepreneur is to try to document our systems as best we can. Because I think too many entrepreneurs make a mistake of assuming that somebody heard, heard something once and they understand what it is. I mean, as an entrepreneur, nobody understands the amount of hours that you've put into to everything. And to expect somebody to understand what you know when you just tell them one time is a mistake that too many people make. And, and they'll say, well, I told them, I don't understand why they're not getting it done. And I, and I can often go back and say, well, do you have that in a written procedure that they can follow along with? And if the answer is no, in my office, I take that as my fault, you know, but, mm -hmm. but then what I say is, okay, now you got to help document this for me. I told you how to do it. I want you to document. And then now we don't have to run into this the, the next time. So if you have somebody that's working for you, you should document everything you do. There's so many different reasons why this is important. One for training, when you bring somebody on, at least you have something they can start from instead of just starting from scratch. But then the more people you hire on, the less you have to be involved with all the day-to-day -day training and everything like that because you have your systems documented. The other thing that, that systems are so critical for is life happens and it's inevitable that somebody is going to miss time, whether it's vacation, an unexpected event, whatever happens. If you don't have systems in place to run the business, it will crumble if key people are gone. You know, And I just recently took two weeks off from my office to put a test to the systems. How did the business do without me there? And I can say I'm happy now to report that, that we're doing okay. So the next step then, I, I'll try and take 30 days away from the business to see how things can do. Maybe I'll do that in 2021 or 2022. But the point is your systems have to be able to capture everything that you do so that the things that really, and for the people that are listening to this, what I would say is focus on the things that happen 80% of the time. Don't necessarily worry about those 20% what off, well, what if this happens or what if this happens? Like if it's happened once, maybe you can think about it, but really just think about it like this. The things that you probably will do again in the next month, two months, three months, Start with those, document those things first. And then when you start getting things built out a little bit better, you can always add on. Sure. Cause I think that's where I know when I think about the systems in my business, that's where I always go, well, I'm going to write this process, but what if these few factors happen that very rarely happen, but they could happen. <laughs> that's, that's where I go yep. right away. Right. So that's, that's great advice. I think it's so interesting that you said, your job as the entrepreneur is to design the systems and make them effective, more or less. I, I think I changed your words a little bit, but I don't think very many business owners think of their jobs as being that. They don't think about it being, I'm going to design these systems and, and make them worthwhile. So that is really an interesting point. Yeah, one, one of the best books I read in 2019 was by Jocko Wilnick. It's called Extreme Ownership, and he's a Navy SEAL. And I'm paraphrasing and I really would encourage people to read it because my 30 second summary can't do it justice. But uh, essentially what happened was he, he was the lead person within our military in the Middle East and some friendly fire took place and, and he, he realized, he said, it's my fault. Well, there was a bunch of stuff done that said, hey, look, there was some bad intel or, or whatnot. And he really, he couldn't have done any better than, than what he was. But he said, nope, it's my fault. I was the leader. It's my fault. I really took that to heart because it's like, wait a minute, I can't take credit for all the good and shift off all the blame. In fact, I kind of try to do the opposite. When things go bad, I say it's my fault. When things go well, I try and praise the team to the best I can. Huh. But 
when you look at it and you say, okay, if the directions were clear and they fail, well, then we need to figure out, are they the right person for your team? But if the directions aren't clear and they failed, well, I mean, are, do we want to just, you know, set people up for failure? That, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, going into with just kind of the perfect transition into the next part of a, a business and that's people. Your people are, are probably the most important part of your business. Like I said, none of these are in any particular order, but I would say that people are the hardest thing to, to work with. You know, if you ask any uh, entrepreneur, like, you know, most of them are going to say that the things they struggle with, especially when they start seeing some success is finding the right people on their team. You know, the, the great companies have, wonderful people on their teams. The marginal companies have people that come and go and don't stick around too long. But the people that are going to last, they want to be a part of something and they want to know that they're doing well. So every person on your team should have, you know, a job description. Now, when you're first starting off, you may have people wearing three, four, five, six, seven different hats. That's okay. Like that's, that's actually expected. But to the best you can, you should try to identify which hats are they wearing. So that way, when you do make your next hire, which hat are you taking off of this person and which hat are you giving to the new person? When I first started, I was, I was a marketer. I was in sales. I did the, the lawyer work. I did the paralegal work. I did receptionist work. I did janitorial work. I did all of those things that, that you have to do in a business. I was doing all of them. Whether, you know, when I answer the phone, I can pretend that I'm not a lawyer, but I'm a lawyer answering the phone, which makes me a receptionist, right? I can say, well, I'm a, you know, no client is going to want to pay a legal fee for me to answer the phone as a receptionist. And, and I shouldn't, <laughs> and no one should be expected to. Right. But the reality is when I'm answering the phone, I'm a receptionist. So if I'm going to be wearing that hat, I need to start thinking about, well, what are, what's my job description? What are my responsibilities? And what are the key performance indicators of that job? or KPI, how is the receptionist going to know that, that he or she is doing a good job? You should try to think about those KPIs for every position. And that way they can look at it and say, oh, hey, I'm doing a good job. I'm not doing a good job. You know, with the reception, maybe you want to make sure that the reception area is clean, that it's tidied up, or that there's no more than three rings to your office. We don't have missed calls. We don't have you know, negative complaints. These are things that you can mark down and say, these are the key performance indicators of a receptionist. And then you share that with the receptionist and you say, okay, these are the things that you need to do in order to be successful. Now they know, you know, makes everybody's life a lot easier. Yeah. It seems to me like number one, that's going to make your business a whole lot more effective and it's going to all push towards the goals that you've set for your business. But also I think just as an employee, that's going to make them a lot more at ease with, with their job because they know very clearly what's expected of them and what their key goals are for their position, right? Instead of just thinking, well, I'm supposed to be out here as a receptionist and, and generally be friendly. And you have really specific pieces like that, that they can kind of keep stock of and, and know where they're at. Am I achieving this or am I not achieving this? I feel like that's going to also help them just be more satisfied with their job, feel more at ease with their job and know kind of where they're at where instead of, you know, maybe some positions where you're kind of wondering, is this what my boss expects of me? Or am I supposed to be doing other things? So I think even from the employee section, that's really helpful. And of course, from just the business side of things, it's, it's going to make the business a lot more effective as well. 
Yeah, and and the the thing about it is, is as humans, we all have things going on in our heads, right? And we we kind of have an idea of what we think we've maybe communicated to people or what we think we said. And the reality is somebody else heard it differently. And that happens so often in our jobs. Everyone can imagine a scenario where we were talking the receptionist with the, the receptionist thinks, hey, my my job is to make sure that everything is spick and span. There's no place looks great. And that when, when it comes in, I'm Johnny on people walk in the door, I'm Johnny on the spot to uh, greet them and, and make them feel welcome and all that sort of stuff. And that might be absolutely acceptable for some job. But maybe the, the owner said, I'm really concerned about the phones and not missing phone calls. So that person maybe on a previous job, that was what she was supposed to do. Make sure everything was really, really organized and clean and greet everyone. Um, and that was a, a good job over there. And now they come to this new place and they have a whole different standard of what is good or not good. Well, how is it fair to the receptionist if it's not communicated to her or him, what is a good job? Like, that's what entrepreneurs struggle with. We struggle with communicating to our people of what are what do we want them to do? What do we want them, you know, how will they know if they're successful? And there's a variety of reasons why people are afraid to, to do that. But I, what I recommend is, is be honest and, and say, look, I'm growing this thing out. I don't know if this is going to last. For right now, I'm actually in the process of creating a whole brand new position within our office we've never had before. So I've had honest conversations with the person that's filling the role saying, hey, we're building this. You know, we're flying the airplane as we're, we're building it, okay? Meaning we don't have all the answers. We're gonna put some things out there. We're gonna try, it may not work, and then we're gonna fix, we're gonna reevaluate. But that sort of honest communication doesn't necessarily happen because some entrepreneurs believe that they have to have all the answers that if they don't have the answer, somehow that's a sign of weakness to their team. Whereas I believe that actually shows maturity and strength because you're, you're saying to them, hey, if you got an idea, come to me, I'll listen. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, so many quality points in there. And yeah, these seven points are, are really good. I think, like you've said too, from the beginning, it's important to remember, you know, these are not the seven points to a successful business in one month or even in one year, it's not like a, a get rich scheme, but really, really quality pieces if you actually want your business to grow and be effective and, and have a well-functioning business that can run without you, kind of like you were saying as well. I mean, the, the right. thought of leaving your business on its own for weeks at a time, I think is a very foreign idea to probably, you know, 90% or greater of, of small business owners. So really cool. It's, it scared, scared me to death when I first started that. Like I was like, oh God. And, and that was actually a literal challenge for me to do that, to walk away with emergency access only. And that, that you can't be checking in every day and just working right. remotely. That's not the same thing. Fires so, only. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the, the last part of the business is actually right up your alley. And, and uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't set this up, but it's financial controls. And once you start running a business, you need to have good financial controls. If, if you don't, that's when you run into problems. When I first started off, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, you just kind of make gut feels, hey, this person feels right. And hey, maybe we should bring somebody else on or whatever. And, and that will work for a little bit. But if you really want to grow, 
you need to understand numbers within your firm and everything's or, or business what and every business is going to be different as to like some of the the key numbers that they need to be looking at but you need to have a budget you need to have a budget variance report you should have a cash flow projection you should understand what a you know an income statement is or a profit and loss statement now for the 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 listeners who who like are trying to turn it off and maybe like throwing up and gagging like I'm pump breaks I didn't get there like <laughs> overnight like and I still if I had my choices I would avoid doing financial controls because it's not my thing like numbers aren't my thing but I understand the value if that makes sense yeah and every entrepreneur that that listens to this is going to have one or two of these things that are just they repulse them and that's completely natural but the thing that i would recommend is that you start off you know and you got to learn them right you don't have to learn everything about it but you need to know enough that you can have a conversation with the people that you hire so like if somebody was going to hire you as a bookkeeper it's really important that they understand some basic words right like learn what a chart of accounts means learn what a profit and loss statement is you know just just basics right you don't have to like understand right. the deep stuff but that way when you're having a conversation with your bookkeeper and he says here's your uh, you know P&L statement or your you know this or that like you you don't just like nod your head and say oh yeah 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 like you <laughs> actually can have a conversation right because you're too embarrassed to ask but it's super super important because those those financial controls can help you realize like for example i was doing some some stuff within the last couple of weeks that that i i was like i i have this feeling we need to get a new attorney and a, and a new paralegal hired in the next six to, to ten weeks and i had some people help me to crunch numbers and actually put it there and say yep this is when you're going to need it based upon what we're doing and what we project out it's gonna we're gonna need somebody by q1 of 2021 and then probably need someone maybe q2 and q3 of 2021 i never would have been there when i first started and i wouldn't expect a lot of people to be there but as you grow you start understanding these things and you can realize okay that makes sense and you you execute yeah no that's super solid i i appreciate the part where you were saying that each business owner may have a piece of, of these seven pieces that they uh, makes them want to gag in some way where <laughs> yeah. you said for yourself, you know, that's financial controls for me. It's definitely not financial controls, but marketing and sales for me oftentimes feel that where I go do anything in that realm of things. And I just instantly want someone else to do it for me. You know, it's just like, I, I don't want to do that ever. But when you have a baseline knowledge, like you said, it's just so helpful, like you said, to have those conversations, to even know what you're looking for when you're eventually ready to outsource. It's helpful to at least have been in that process. You can, I guess, share accurately what your business needs and what you need. So that's great. All of us have, have different areas that make us run for hiding, but all important in their own way as well. So yeah, and if and if you can at least identify these things, the reality is if you paused and listened to this and then looked back at your last week, then you could probably just figure out, okay, how much of my week did I spend in sales and marketing versus the physical plant, the system? Most of the people bear like bury themselves in like the physical plant and systems, you know, depending on, on how deep of the definition you get into, but but basically just essentially doing the work they know how to do. So if, there, if you were an entrepreneur that you owned vehicles, you, you go and start working on stuff in the shop because that's the stuff you like to do, that you, you're good with your hands. 
you'd like to fix problems. And when all else, like what else do I do? You just go and do the stuff you're comfortable with. If you are growing, I can't emphasize enough that it's, it's, it's all about hustle market sell, hustle market sell, meaning it's marketing and sales. And you should be trying to make money marketing and sales, marketing and sales. And, and the biggest thing that a lot of entrepreneurs go into is they, they spend a lot of money, hustle market sell, hustle market sell, and then they stop because now they got to do the work. And then you see what happens is they're not doing any marketing. So they're doing the work and all of a sudden the, the marketing dries up. They got no new clients coming in. So now they stop doing work, go back over hustle market, sell hustle market, sell, you know what I mean? And then they just jump back and forth between sales and marketing and then doing the work, sales and marketing, doing the work. So try to think about different ways that you can keep that pipeline of people coming in. So if it's, you know, if you're making some content, try and make it out there so people can consume it and get it out in front of people on a consistent basis. It would be better to turn people away rather than be just you know hungry for, for whomever walks through your door, right? There'd be nothing better like for, I'll just use you an example, this somebody calls and says, I need bookkeeping service and say, you know, I'm actually about three to four months out before I can take on a new client. Here's what I can do. I can refer you to somebody else or I can get you on the waiting list. You know, they're gonna be like, wow, you, you would refer me out? Well, of course, you know, I wanna, I wanna help people and I don't want you to sit around waiting for me and your books are, are terrible for three months, but I'd happily get you on our waiting list and something comes up, I can get you in sooner, right? Like that also creates, by the way, more of a demand, like a, a psychological demand. Like you walk into a restaurant and you can't get a reservation, kind of makes you want to eat there more. Just something to keep in mind, just come yeah. up with some content, get it out to people. And if marketing and sales is not your thing, you got to force yourself to do it. I think I remember reading a Seth Godin book a while back called Eat That Frog, meaning like if you eat a frog the first thing in the morning, like if that frog is marketing, well, everything else is going to taste better the rest of the day. Mm. Get it out of the way early because you know it's got to get done and then it's going to be better. (laughs) I love it. Well, Brian, thanks again for sharing those seven parts. Those are so valuable to any business owner, not just attorneys, not just bookkeepers, but, but every business owner can for sure value from that. So thanks so much for sharing all of your insight on that. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I love, love talking about this stuff. Brian, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about Profit First. We've, we've talked before the call about that and it's a system that both of us have, have used and enjoyed. You know, I see it from the bookkeeper side of things. Can you tell us a little bit about Profit First as an entrepreneur, how you got into it and what your perception of, of it was when you started out? Yeah. So for those that don't know, I, I absolutely love, love Profit First. I'm a huge Mike McCallowitz fan. I actually even went to a workshop on this. I think it's so good, but it's, it's such a simple concept, but yet it's, it's life-changing. A lot of people are, they, they believe in the doctrine of sacrifice, meaning that they have to give up and give, 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 and I'll take whatever's left. And that's kind of like the entrepreneurial cross the bear for a lack of a better analogy. Like they, they kind of feel like that's what I have to do. Like I only get what's left over. And I think what profit first does is it kind of flips things on its head and says, wait a minute, you're the one that's going to be making all these sacrifices and risks for your family, for yourself. You need to be paid first because if you're not happy, if you're not thriving, then the business is not going to thrive. You're not in business to break even. You're in business to make a profit. And the conventional wisdom is revenue minus expenses equals profit. So in other words, whatever you bring in minus whatever you spent, you get what's left over. 
And what Mike did was flip it and say, okay, no, it's actually first thing. It's like you've got profit, then it goes first, and then you've got whatever's left over pays your expenses. The analogy I think he used was big plates, small plates. Back when George Washington was, was around and all that time, people had smaller plates. They filled up their small plates with food. They ate them and they maintained regular healthy weights. <laughs> Right. As we've grown as a society, plates get bigger, plates still get filled up, people still eat what's on the plate, there's nothing left over. And, and the concept is, well, if, if you have a smaller plate, you're going to eat less food. If you have a smaller plate for your expenses, you're going to spend less money. So you pay yourself first, and then what's ever left over, you're going to be a little bit more conscious about it because you don't have as much to spend. That's right. the basic you know, premise, but I, it is game changing for entrepreneurs to, to actually get paid before anything else happens is a wonderful thing and you shouldn't apologize for it. <laughs> you, you, you risk a lot to go out in business and you're willing to, to fail. Most people won't do that. Most people want to have the security of a paycheck. You don't get that as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. If things fail, it's your fault and you got to eat it. So you should also get paid first. Yeah, um, I love the the big plate, small plate analogy. I, I've heard it also said as, um, you know, when you're trying to squeeze the last bit of toothpaste out of the toothpaste container, yep. you, you can make a, a little go a lot further than when you first open up that tube and, you know, you're feeling really flush with toothpaste. But I know, Brian, you know, when a lot of business owners start Profit First or think about Profit First, it, it feels overwhelming. You're supposed to open five different bank accounts, potentially actually seven, five at one bank, two at another. And it can feel really overwhelming. Kind of like you said, it's a whole mindset switch. What advice do you have for business owners when they're first getting into it where they think, wow, these ideas sound great. I want to try these out, but this just feels like too much. One, reach out to your banker. Okay. And if, if you don't want to, if you don't have a bank or whatnot, there are plenty of online banks that are like no cost for these things, but it's really, really not that bad. You, your basic accounts, you have an income account, you have your expenses account, you have a profit account, uh, you got a tax account. And then in, Mike also has an owner's comp account. My, my firm's a little bit different. I also have a trust account, but, and I'm a W2 wage earner. And then I do have profit on top of that be, just because I'm a, an LLC with an S-Corp thing. So I don't have an owner's account or owner's uh, comp account. But those are the basic accounts that he says to set up. And then you get all of your money to go into your income account. And then I don't know if you can make this available for people, but I, I know that you have shared with me a phenomenal spreadsheet that all you got to do is plug in the number, plug in what you want it to, what percentages you want. And that does all the math for you. But Start off small. What, what I always tell people is I, I've seen people, ah, you can't do that in my business or that. Well, yes, you can. Start off with 1%, just 1% profit. Get that muscle going. And then you can move 5% to taxes. And then you can put the rest into your expense account. But by having money set aside for your taxes, it's an amazing, like liberating feeling to know, wow, we did really well with the business. But then it's like, I also have the money to pay for those taxes that are going to come due. Yep. Mike McCallowitz told the story about how his bookkeeper at the end of the year said, Hey, good news, Mike, you made a, I don't remember the amount, but $20,000 profit. And Mike said, well, that's great. Where is it? And the bookkeeper's like, well, you already spent it. It's kind of like, what? And then now he's like, Oh God, now I owe taxes on $20,000 more than I thought. Well, that that's really frustrating because 
you didn't plan ahead, you know? So if you, if you just take that time, it, you, you will thank your future self tremendously. Yeah, very awesome, Brian. Thanks for sharing. And yeah, definitely check out Profit First. It is a really life-changing system if you are a business owner. It will feel a little overwhelming at first, but like Brian's saying here, start small and you can get right into it. Thanks again, Brian. Absolutely. My pleasure.